This interview is one in a series recorded by the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust as part of a Health Education England funded programme to transform outcomes for children and young people with extra vulnerability to mental health difficulties. The series includes interviews with a range of experts who each have specialist knowledge on the needs and experiences of a particular vulnerable group. This is an interview with Dr Andrew Reeves. My name is Andrew Reeves. I originally trained a few years ago as a social worker, um, working with children and families and their mental health. And I work, um, I've worked for nearly 20 years in a university setting as a counsellor and then as a senior counsellor. So I'm counsellor trained. I work in schools, so I do, I do kind of strategic work in schools around mental health and well-being, but sometimes I do some direct work with young people and, and their families. I supervise lots and lots of people who work with young people and families. I do initiatives around men's mental health. I'm really passionate about men's mental health because it's overlooked and it's not talked about enough. And what I do now, currently, I'm a, a senior lecturer in counselling and psychotherapy, and I'm currently supervising projects around men's mental health. And I work half-time for the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust, and I'm director of their Universities and Further Education programme, and that's about raising mental health awareness for men and women um, across the, the kind of college and university sector. I'm also chair of BACP, which means I chair the board of governors for BACP, and BACP is British Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy. That is one of the, the kind of key professional organisations in the UK and we've got 46,000 members, so it's a big organisation, and it's the sort of therapist that you would be looking for if you went to, to seek therapy. You'd look for a BACP, accredited or registered therapist. In your work, clearly, you do see boys and young men who come forward um, and are looking for help. Um, what do you think happens to make that easier for them? My, my experience is, and this is a generalisation, that often it's not easy for them to come through the door and seek out help. So my, my experience is that men often, not always, but often leave it further down the line to the point at which they feel they have no choice. Mm. They're feeling desperate, um, sometimes they're feeling suicidal or they're noticing they're doing things like they're drinking too much or they're taking drugs or they're getting into fights or arguments, they're very irritable. People are starting to point that out. You know, you seem really bad-tempered, and you, and they start to notice that their behaviours are different. It might not be that they necessarily, at that stage, connect with that they feel different. Because I think one of the things that can go with men's mental health is that kind of disconnecting. Mm. Um, that's generalisation, and that's not true for all boys and all men. Um, but I, I, I think often men and boys come for help when they feel they're kind of up against it and they don't know what else to do. Um, sometimes that's different. Often they will come because it's been recommended. Yeah, they rarely come because they look on a website or something and like the look of a service because, to be frank, most, this is my personal point mm. of view, most um, helping services tend to use what be what would be described as typical female language and I, I appreciate I'm buying into gender stereotypes in saying that but men aren't brought up to talk about growth and support and care and love and talking and sharing. They should mm. but they're not. Mm. Um, so a case in point, I once ran a group for men um, for men who were struggling with anxiety and I used to call it you know, an anxiety group for men and nobody ever came. I was there on my own. 
Um, and then one day I changed it and I called it developing a toolkit for success and I had a waiting list. And so I, I think that um, men typically don't look online and see something that attracts them. They'll, they'll go to the point where they're feeling a bit desperate or they'll go to a service that they feel maps onto that experience where they're not going to be judged or it's been recommended. Mm. You know, a friend, um, a female or male friend, it doesn't matter, mm. but a friend has said, I think you should do this, why don't you why don't you go to that? And then they'll make the choice to... to, to the tears or society in general do to encourage um, boys and young men to notice those things earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think there's things that institutions and organisations can do around... Um, raising awareness amongst male staff in those organisations. It's not that the male staff per se have to be the supporters, but um, men in those institutions could be setting a really important culture where kind of mental health is is talked about, not necessarily their own mental health, but kind of mental health issues, and to to talk about it in a way so it's not being presented in a deficit model, that Mm -hmm. is positively promoted, that mental health is seen as, as equivalent to our physical health. And so when they have gyms in schools, for example, that they have alongside that kind of um, well-being sessions and stuff. So it's kind of seen as part of the big thing. So I think there's something about men in those settings can actually be be good role models if they are um, able to talk more freely and more openly about mental health in a a positive, non-stigmatising way. Um, I think... think Going back to the point I was making earlier about sometimes the way in the, the language that we use to present support services tends not to map onto the sort of language that men would traditionally use. Again, I don't defend that and I don't say that's right. But if we're working with the reality at the moment, um, I think that we could think about how we position and situate those services. So they, they're not always described in, in deficit terms. That it's not always about, you know, having problems come for support. Um, but do you want to cope better? Do you want to cope differently with things? And I think suddenly it's the same service, but suddenly that feels altogether different. And I think I think boys and men are much more likely to access a service which is, for example, saying, um, do you want to cope better with certain things that happen or do you want to learn to cope differently with certain things happen rather than um, other times that you're not coping? Because that's a big cultural leap to make for, for, for men to acknowledge to themselves, first of all. So I think the language they use, the, the positive role models that it's embedded in the curriculum, you know, it's, it's not just in um, specific lessons, but, you know, whether it be in history or maths or English or home economics or whatever, the, the, the kind of language that, that is used to talk about ourselves is inclusive and, is inclusive and positively framed and permission. Most of all, organisations need to ensure that they are delivering a good mental health service or well-being service and there are still lots of institutions who don't and that's a real shame and it's unnecessary because there are so many organisations out there you know Charlie Waller Memorial Trust is one of them um, that will put in the training and will put in the resources because for some it's a scary thing to get into and actually it doesn't need to be scary because We've all, we all have mental health needs. This isn't an us and them thing. So I think breaking down the cultural barriers, the language barriers, ensuring that there is, is, is kind of suitably informed and trained people available. Investing in that. You know, sometimes it might cost schools a bit of money, and I'm involved in schools, and I know they don't have a lot of money. Mm. But actually, 
if you want young people to really focus and um, develop with their learning and their achievement, you've got to get the mental health right. Mm. You know, it's, it, they're not mutually exclusive. Have you noticed any changes in trends in recent years in terms of the ways that the issues that might be impacting on boys and um, young men or the things that they're coming forward with? The biggest change I've noticed over, over the last few years, having worked in the, in the field for a long time, is um, kind of stuff around self-esteem and body image and eating related problems. So when I first started to work, you know, I would see men and they would, they would, you know, come and talk about issues of depression and anxiety and kind of relationship problems and sexual problems and stuff like that. Um, but they, they rarely talked about body image per se or their sense of self or sense of self-esteem. And, and one of the things that I'm really noticing is, is the sheer number of people, sheer number of boys and men who are coming through the door worried about body shape, worried about body image, worried about being inadequate, worried about their sense of being male in relation to body image, um, use of steroids, you know, kind of addiction to the gym and kind of physical health to pump up and be what they, they think is the, the right way to be. Um, or starting to regulate their eating, to lose weight, or to, to put on kind of different sorts of weight, or to build muscle mass and all that sort of stuff, and then getting caught in a real trap with it, mm. and finding that in trying to tweak something, they've then generated a big problem for themselves, and they find themselves with a really kind of difficult eating-related problem, or um, really crushing low self-esteem, which is kind of linked to their body image. and. You know, women have been struggling with that for many years, and you could argue, um, and there is some research to support this, this assertion that, um, you know, the, the women's magazine industry and the women's health industry has been there a lot longer than it has for men, and, and so this, women have for a long time been um, delivered this on-the-doorstep message of what the, the woman should look like and what, and what the consequences are if you don't, and since we see the kind of six-pack culture, the muscle culture, the fitness culture the, that is perpetrated by, by some publications and kind of messages on the media. Um, you know, there is some research that suggests a link between that and an increasing eating disorders in, in men and body image problems. And so that would be the biggest change I think I would, I would notice. Drug use, Alcohol use has actually been there for a long time because men are really, really good at internalising their feelings. So instead of feeling angry, they'll drink it back down or they'll anaesthetise themselves with drugs. Um, that still happens. The other issue is around um, kind of increasing use of porn, pornography. Um, whether that's porn addiction or not, I mean, it's a, a big point of debate at the moment about whether porn addiction exists or not. All I can say from, from my work is I see a lot of young guys who um, are using porn sufficiently excessively that it is profoundly damaging their capacity to relate in relationships. So um, potential sexual partners become objectified, um, their expectation of how they should be in a potential or current or future sexual relationship is distorted. It further compounds the notion of body image and sense of inadequacy, um, increasing um, concerns around sexual performance. Um, and so that kind of kind of that real world relational experience of uh, sexual intimacy with another becomes completely corrupted by this artificial notion. And, and therefore increasing numbers of, of 
kind of older boys and, and young men who actually find it really, really hard to step out of that. And I see, I see loads of guys who come along and say, you know, I've been lying to my mates for years that I do this and I do this and I do this and I don't. And actually I'm frightened of relationships because I don't know how to do them. And so I think that's a major issue. If you were interviewing yourself, what would you ask yourself? If I was interviewing myself about kind of supporting boys and men, I think I would want to know is how do I help them come through the door? And once they're through the door, what should I be doing to help engage them mm. and to enable them to do the things they need to do to achieve what they want to achieve and to make the changes? So I would, I would um, having asked myself those questions, I would answer them by saying, um, I would make sure that my kind of my materials, my publicity are written in male-friendly ways. You know, there's some really good charities out there who do, who target men's mental health specifically, who've got it bang on the mark. You know, they do fantastic stuff. Um, it's, it's kind of clearer communication. It's less fluffy communication, for want of a better way of putting it. Um, it does what it says on the tin, and I think, I think men respond to that. Boys and men respond to that. They know what they're getting. They want to know what they're getting. I would, I would make sure that I take active steps to kind of positively reinforce the fact that they've come to seek help. I'd want to normalise it. I'd want to deal very early on with um, the notions that the being being in the same room as me is in itself a weakness. I want to reframe that as a strength. You know, surely it has to be a statement of strength if I notice something about myself that I need to attend to and I can take action to do that. That that's a real strong thing, this notion that seeking help is is weakness. I mean it's ridiculous. And I'd want to deliver a service, and I do deliver a service, which is kind of very pragmatic. It's, you know, very honest and it's very respectful. You know, I, I kind of put out on the table what I'm thinking is. I'm interested in what the, 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 the guy I'm working with is thinking and how they want to work. And th that it's collaborative, that I'm not doing something to them. We're, we're doing something in partnership that, that they can then support themselves with. And most of all, of course, my biggest task is to put myself out of a job. Because <laughs> I want to get to a point where the people who've come to see me are doing the things that they need to do, and so therefore, you know, they get to a point where they don't need to see me anymore, but they know they can do again um, if they choose to. And a final point I want to make, and this is really important, because there's a, there's a persistent myth that um, even if you get men through the door of helping services, they don't know what to do and they're not very good at talking about feelings and all of that sort of stuff. You know, I've been in practice for many, many years, and for most of those years, it, it seemed like the predominant work I've, I've done is with boys and men. Boys and men are really good at it, and if they're given an opportunity and they're asked really clear questions and you're really honest with them and you create a safe space and a respectful space, men are really good at talking about their feelings and expressing themselves, and they know what's right for them and they know what's wrong for them let them use the language that is right for them. So, you know, if you're constantly asking a man what do you, what do you feel about this and they don't really know how to answer, ask them what they think about it and they'll tell you what they feel about it. You know, don't, don't be precious about your language. But men are really good at it, mm. almost consistently. I cannot think of a single boy or man I've worked with over the years who hasn't been able to make some use of the kind of support that, that's available. So that my, my key message would be, these guys are really good at it. We just need to give them the opportunity and we give them the opportunity, get them through the door and, you know, four men a day dying through suicide, that's not okay. That's not all right. 
and we can make a difference with that. You know, we don't have to leave people getting to a point where they feel as if there is no other alternative because there are alternatives. Thank you for listening. If you have found this resource useful, please consider making a charitable donation to CWMT by texting TALK18 and the amount to 70070. And to learn more about the work of the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust, please visit cwmt.org.uk.